Well, let's keep worshiping. It's been a wonderful morning of worship already, singing these songs to the Lord, hearing our children start off the worship service, coming to the Lord's table together, celebrating our salvation, and now back into the Word of God, no less worship as we do this. John chapter 15, if you'll join me there. And yes, we're entering into the season where we're celebrating the birth of Christ, but it's good for us simultaneously to also continue to keep our eyes on the cross of Christ, on the mission of Christ, on the message of of Christ. And so we're going back into the upper room together. We're in our series of messages from John 13 through John 17. It's the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night he was arrested, knowing that the very next morning by 9 a.m., Jesus is going to be hanging on a cross, dying for our sins, that that we just remembered together. But this is the night before that, this upper room discourse, we call it, Jesus giving such rich truth. And we are walking through that together. We've already walked together through John 13. We've just now finished up John 14, and now we enter into John 15, and every word weighty. Here's John 15, verses 1 through 11. Jesus, our Savior, said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I spoke to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be full. You might recall that about two months ago, back in September, we came to this very passage. We were in what we called our strategy sessions as a church. And we looked at this passage because this is such a key passage for us as individuals, but even us as a church family. You remember in our logo prominently displayed is a vine. And that idea comes from this that Jesus is our very life, that everything we do here is all about Jesus. And that's what we're trying to communicate in that logo. So let's go back into this text and consider it together. And what does Jesus say here about himself and how we relate to him? Jesus said, I am the vine, meaning that Jesus is the one who gives us true life. True life is only found in him. And it's a wonderful metaphor for who he is to us. Now, this morning, I had an opportunity for another metaphor to come into my mind, coming for the eight o'clock service. I got caught by a train. It's kind of unnerving when you're going to be speaking. And so I was running a little bit later than usual, and I got caught by a train. And there were two engines, and that concerned me as it started by. And uh, there it goes. I wondered, how long is this one going to be? Well, it was going a while, and then I saw another engine in the middle. Now I'm very concerned. And it, that engine was revving, and I, could, I, I thought, this... This must be necessary for this long train. But it had, give me a moment. I was thinking about our text here waiting. And I thought about, you know, there's a picture here similar to the vine and branches. I thought about one of those rail cars 
no matter how wonderful it is, loaded up with all kinds of Christmas gifts, maybe in there, it's going nowhere without an engine. It's doing nobody any good without an engine. And I thought, okay, it's a little bit like this. But Jesus has a better analogy, better metaphor. He says, I am a vine and you are branches and you really can't do anything apart from me. It's a wonderful metaphor. Vineyards were commonplace in Israel. And in the old covenant, Israel was referred to as God's vineyard. We see that in places like Isaiah 5. But here Jesus says, I am the true vine. He's making the point that he is absolutely essential to us. That he is the source of our existence and he's the source of our everlasting life. And we are branches to be attached to him. So the question is this, is that who Jesus is to you? Is this how you relate to Jesus where you understand, yes, he is the vine and I'm a branch attached to him. I ask the question because most people live opposite of that. And we talked about that a couple of months ago. So I'm going to ask it again. Have you somehow reversed that in your life where you see yourself as the vine and Jesus is one of your branches? Most people live that way where they act like I'm living my life. I'm doing my thing. And Jesus is really lucky that I let him tag along in the life that I'm living. Many people might say it like this if they were pressed. I like sports. I like travel. I like fine foods. I like Jesus. I like fitness. I like coffee. I like my phone. Jesus is just one of the things that you find somewhat interesting. But that's not how Jesus describes himself. He said, I am the vine. And you are branches. So if we could interview a grapevine and the branches this morning, wouldn't that be interesting? We'd all talk about it all afternoon. But if we could talk to a branch on a grapevine and, and ask the branch, hey, who is the vine to you? That branch, we are certain, would not say, well, that vine's a part of my life. Would not be adequate. That branch would not say, no, that vine's a big part of my life. Totally not adequate. That branch, if it could talk, would say to us, that vine is my life. If I were detached from that vine, I'm dead. I'm nothing apart from the vine. Listen, that's who Jesus is to us. That's what he is telling us. He is the true vine. So him calling himself the true vine helps us know that, you know, there might be other vines that we might try to attach ourselves to erroneously where we're thinking we're going to find life and we don't. Maybe you have some other vine you have attached yourself to that's not giving you life. For some people, it might be their friend group. Oh, I need my friends and I find all my life and energy in my friend group. And I'm, I'm like a branch attached to them. I'm going to find life there. That's not the true vine. Jesus is. Maybe it's a girlfriend for you. Maybe it's a boyfriend for you. And you think, I, I'm drawing my life from that one. That one's going to fulfill me. That's a mistake. Jesus is the true vine. Maybe it's some other religion. Maybe it's some other belief system. Jesus says, no, I am the true vine. Maybe it's pleasure. Or maybe it's money. And Jesus would say, no, don't chase that. I'm the true vine. Nobody can give you life but me. So when driving around in the afternoon, sometimes I turn on local talk radio and I noticed about a year ago or so, uh, an infomercial took over a time slot in some of these afternoons. I don't even know the rhythm yet of it. And there's an infomercial uh, called Lifestyles Unlimited with a guy named Dell Walmsley. Oh, why did he show up on the radio? What's, what's, why is he not the normal afternoon guy? So I had to look into this. Who is this guy? And his website says this, Dell's mission in life is to help as many people as possible buy their lives back from corporate America so they can do what they want, when they want, with whomever they want. 
Why? Because it's not the money, it's the lifestyle that matters most. And I've listened to him a few times and no, it is the money. It's the money he wants you to get so that you can have this luxurious lifestyle. He's kind of entertaining. He's kind of like a grandfather talking to you in the afternoon. He holds, holds himself up as the, the example of the luxurious life you could have if you followed his real estate principles and get a part of his real estate program. So it's an infomercial as you notice it. But he preaches a message of getting rich. And again, he, he tells a good tale as he weaves through his life. He talks about all the apartment complexes across the country that he owns he talks about the homes that he owns and the, how he'll tell you how many square footage and the, the amenities in his house. It's all about getting rich and the lifestyle of getting rich. Listen, that's not the gospel. If you follow that plan, you'll still be a dead branch. There'll be no life for you. Didn't Jesus say this? What will it profit if a man gains the whole world and loses his soul? Jesus is the true vine and he must be in his rightful place in your life. So here's the question. Have you believed in Jesus? Are you trusting in Jesus like this? Remember, Jesus makes the exclusive claim that he's the one that can save you. John 14, 6, no one comes to the father, but through me, Jesus said. So right now will be a great time for you to tell Jesus to get this right in your life. Jesus, I recognize that I am a branch attached to you, the vine. That I'm nothing apart from you. That I'm trusting in you alone to make me clean. I'm trusting in you alone to make me righteous. I'm trusting in you alone to be my savior. You're my only hope of eternal life. I'm trusting in you. You're the vine. Oh, I'm a branch drawing life from you. So Jesus said, I'm the vine. But how about this? He said, the father, he has a role in your life. And the father is the vine dresser. He's a gardener in your life. Look at verse one again. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So Jesus describes the father here as a gardener who works in his life and on everybody attached to him to ensure fruitfulness. This means God is active in your life, that God has goals for your life, resulting in you being more fruitful and him getting more glory. Isn't it true that vines need maintenance? I didn't know that. I didn't think much about vines. I grew up in North Carolina. We didn't have a lot of great vines. And so it wasn't until really living in Central Asia years ago now that I encountered a grapevine. And it was in the, the second house we lived in, in Central Asia. We occupied this house. I don't think I even noticed when we got into this house that there was a grapevine over the back door. I mean, it was 15 to 20 feet above the back door. There was some kind of arbor they somebody had put up there and, and it was probably some scraggly looking vine. I didn't pay attention to it until it started raining grapes later on. Like, oh, there's a grapevine up there. And uh, I had no plan for those grapes. I didn't want those grapes. I had no ladder that would get me up so I had to deal with those grapes. So we just dealt with grapes. And I have to tell you, in that hot sun, raisins, pretty fast <laughs> raisins everywhere. Our, our job was to kind of, kind of kick them out of the way so that we could get in the house. They would get up all in our sandals and it was, it was, it was rough. And it was realized, okay, these, these vines, they need maintenance. They need somebody to care for them, somebody to harvest them. somebody to have a plan for them. And aren't you glad here? Oh, Jesus is the vine. We're branches and God is involved in your life. He has goals here. He cares for you. So maybe your life, you feel like my life's in disarray like that. There's no plan. There's no maintenance going on in my life. Here, hey, look up today. You have a God who loves you, 
who will attach you to this vine and he will work in your life to make you healthy spiritually, to grow you up in Christ as you surrender to him and his working in your life. Now, specifically, we're told two things that the father does here. First of all, he removes dead branches. Verse two, again, every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Verse six, he elaborates. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Of course, Jesus isn't really so concerned about literal grapevines and branches. He's talking about people here. Notice the wording here. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch. So to whom is he referring? What people are these that he likens to dead branches that get discarded? These are people who are around the vine but that aren't truly attached to the vine. Every church has people like this, that there are people who are around the Christian community, they're around the gospel, but for whatever reason, never do believe in Christ. Like Judas. Remember in this upper room discourse, in the upper room of Jesus, we, we, saw, we saw Judas depart. We had to look at Judas. Remember, he spent three years with Jesus. You couldn't get closer to Jesus. Nobody saw so much as Judas would have seen with the other 11 disciples, and yet he had never believed. He rejected the Messiah that he got to know up close and personal. So it's possible to be around the other believers. It's possible to be around and even involved in the ministry and not know the Lord, to be a dead branch in the midst of the vine. So this is not a person losing their salvation because that's not possible, but it's a person who appeared to be, maybe we'd say a faker, an imposter, Again, a Judas that didn't really know the Lord. So don't think for a moment that salvation comes when we're just in the Christian community. Being a member of the church, getting your name on the roll, that's not what ensures that you know Jesus. It is having a faith relationship with Jesus. You're made righteous, you're saved through your faith in Christ. And so this is a picture of judgment for the one who's been around it, never trusted in him, have not believed. They have indeed perished. And that's the way Jesus describes this. So the father is removing these dead, lifeless branches. But notice this also, all living branches are pruned. All living branches are pruned. That's verse two. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So what is pruning? Well, the def definition in the dictionary is this, to cut off or cut back parts of a plant for more fruitful growth. And I already confessed, I know nothing about grapevines, so I had to look it up. So what, what's that involved when you're actually pruning it back? And this is actually interesting. So they give several steps here to pruning a grapevine. Prune grapevines during the winter to reduce the risk of infection. So something they do annually. Secondly, remove all but one shoot from the main trunk during the first year. So we're talking about anything that's growing, we're going to cut everything back that first year. Just you're going to have one shoot on the vine. Three, select two shoots to save in the spring of the second year. We're cutting a lot back always. Four, cut off all flower clusters during the season of the second year. That seems counterintuitive. If you've got flowers growing on this vine, that's a good thing. But you're told to cut all of them back during the second year. Five, thin the shoots growing from the cane each winter. Six, trim the remaining shoots to six to eight inches and then back to that dead wood. Remove diseased wood promptly. Look for lesions, sap, mold, discolored leaves, and fruit that doesn't ripen. If you've ever seen pictures of this, when they cut back a vine, it looks drastic. It looks like you're killing it. Like, why would you cut back so much? But if you look at the after picture, the pruning, you say, okay, that did make it more lush, healthier, more fruitful. So God does this in our lives. 
You say, well, I'm doing all right. I'm, I'm growing in the Lord. Why would he prune me? This is, this is how it works. So when you see difficulties in your life, it doesn't mean that you are necessarily doing something wrong. It's true though. Now he does that too. He does discipline those he loves. So certainly when we stray and we're not willing to bow and repent just in response to the word, he can bring difficulties. But here we're told that even branches that are bearing fruit, that the father out of love can still prune you. And, and to make you more, if we switch metaphors, he can even refine you through that process. That's another biblical metaphor here. So God can trim you back for a season in order that you might produce more lasting fruit in the future. He can do that in your life. Like why this difficulty? Why, why this sense of loss? What's happening? Is it possible that God out of love for you is pruning you for good purposes. Don't despair there. By the way, he can do this in a local church as well. Why, why this difficulty or why this shrinking here? Or why this cutting back? God could be cleansing and purifying for greater harvest to come. So here, let me ask this question. Are you growing spiritually as rapidly as you should? Are you as fruitful as you feel like you should be by this point in your Christian life? Have you ever met a newer Christian than you? And it appears that that newer Christian has outgrown you. They've raced past you in zeal. They've raced past you in devotion and commitment. They wait a minute, I've been a Christian all this time. And this person has taken off. Why, why aren't you growing like that? Why aren't you as fruitful as that? What is it that's gotten into your life that has slowed down the growth? Is, it, is that something that God wants to remove from your life? Now, my favorite way for God to prune me in my life is for him to speak to me in his word and for me to respond to that. I'd rather be one that's like, are oh, you showing me, God, that needs to go. I want to respond to your word. But also he loves me if I were to be stubborn that I can trust that he might remove those things in another way. So ask the Lord. This is a great time. Lord, show me, is there something in me that's inhibiting growth? There's something I've allowed into my life or a way I'm living this life as a Christian that's making me not fruitful like you would want me fruitful. Speak to me, God, that I could respond and, and, and respond to what you're showing me here. I trust you to do this good work in my life. Now, here's a question. What is this fruit that the Lord is talking about here? Whatever this fruit is, he obviously wants a lot of it because he keeps talking about much fruit. Verse five, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Verse eight, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So what is this abundant fruit that our Lord expects to see in us? This fruit that proves we're disciples, he says, and that brings great glory to God. Well, we could talk about a number of things, I suppose, but certainly this would involve sanctification. Sanctification is what we call that process where we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. And over time, we're growing as believers to be more and more like Jesus. So in salvation, he took us from dead to make us alive through Jesus Christ. And we would expect to see some new things in our lives that, that were not in our lives before. That what the Bible calls fruit. We see this in places like Galatians 5. We should see the fruit of the Spirit now in our lives. Is this in you? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We would expect to see this fruit in us and the Lord would want to see this abundantly in us as we walk with him over time. Colossians 3 speaks this way, speaks of it in a different way. He speaks of how these things from your old life, your life before you met the Savior, there's some things from your old life you need to put to death. You need to put away. Paul mentions things like immorality, Anger, slander, 
obscene talk, lying and such things. They're, those were to put away. But he says instead we're to put on some new things, what things we could call this new fruit in our lives. Colossians 3, 12 and following. As we hear these words, would you ask, are these things in me as they ought to be? Colossians 3, 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful." Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul mentions these things that we could say, yeah, this is the type of fruit you expect to see in one who has passed from death to life through Jesus. Things like compassion. Is that in you? Things like humility, a heart of thanksgiving now that you didn't have before. Patience, a growing patience, even toward other people. Paul mentions here, even forgiveness. Are you now more inclined to forgive others than before you knew Jesus because of so much you've been forgiven? And even worship here, worship is a fruit that should be in our lives. He mentions here in this text in Colossians 3, that we should have the word of Christ richly dwelling within us. Is that true of you? And this singing of songs to the Lord, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, these are fruits that are in the hearts of those who've met the Savior. Is this what you see in your life? God is at work toward this. He's pruning you, believer, that this would be more and more true of you. Have you ever been to a funeral where you were concerned that the person that you're there for may not know Jesus? You ever been to a funeral like that? And, and you're concerned because you didn't see a lot of fruit in their life, the fruit of a believer. And so you're left there and you're praying there. You're like, I hope so. I hope they had known Jesus. But, but you're left with, I just don't know. There wasn't a lot to give evidence that they had saving faith in Jesus. Maybe that person was not known for a profound love for Jesus. That person was not known for humility and submission to Christ. That person was not known for giving thanks to God. That person was not known for letting the word of God richly dwell in them. That person was not known for forgiving other people. They were just known for a few hobbies and maybe some good and bad habits. And that's about it. And, and again, we, only God knows the heart of that person. That's why we're just hopeful. I'm hopeful that though I didn't see it, maybe God that was there. Listen, here's what I want to say to you. Don't leave people wondering at your funeral whether or not you knew Jesus. Jesus said you should be so fruitful as you cooperate with what the Father's doing in your life that you should be abounding in fruit. That you would, through this fruit, he says, you would prove to be his disciple. Would you walk with him and cooperate with him, be fruitful as the Father works in you that people would have no doubt that you've been born again, that you are new because the fruit of Christ's likeness is growing in you. So we should see sanctification in us, imperfectly, of course, but we should see this on the rise we want to be fruitful, but also this spiritual reproduction. Here's another fruit, spiritual reproduction. So healthy fruit contains seeds for reproduction so that there'll be even more fruit. So think about Christ. Why did he come? We're celebrating Christmas. Why the incarnation? Jesus came to save people from their sins. So he's the vine, we're branches. If that's what's so important to Jesus, he'd leave heaven to rescue people. That should be on our hearts as well. This should be a fruit in our lives 
to have the same heart of Jesus. Didn't Jesus say this? The son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. There's his mission. Is that your mission? The angel told Joseph, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Do you hear the concern of Christ for unbelievers? And if we know Christ, one of the fruits that should be arising in us is I now have a concern I did not have before. I have a concern for other people. I have compassion for people who are far from Christ. I have a concern for their salvation. This will start to show up in your prayer life. But here's a fruit. Lord, I'm praying now for unbelievers in my life, for friends in my life who don't know you, family members who don't know you. Lord, I'm praying for them. Conversations that we seek to have with those who don't know Jesus. I don't want to just leave them to their sin. I'm so glad the gospel reached me. I need to go share with them. And we have this day coming up this coming Saturday, Tommy just told us about, where we get to go to them. People who would never come in here, let's go see lovingly if we can have a conversation with some out there. Shows up in our giving as we align our whole lives toward this mission of God. And we have this season of giving toward international missions. You saw that goal. What an impressive goal of $160,000 beyond our normal giving. 100% we give away to get the gospel to the nations. This also shows up in our responding to the call to ministry and missions. If God were to call you to go into ministry, if we were to call you to be a missionary, this heart, this fruitfulness, yes, Lord, I will go. I'm just a branch. You're the vine. I'll go wherever you go. And it's making disciples right here in the body. Real quickly then, how do we abide? Jesus talks so much about it here. You must abide in him. How do you do it? First of all, it is being saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus. Only Jesus can do this. He can take a dead branch, attach to himself and make it live. It's the miracle of new birth. And so you might find yourself today, I have no fruit. My life gives evidence that I've never known Jesus. Good news, God brought you here because he loves you to hear this good news that you could respond and you could be grafted into this vine. All of us started that way. None of us started as fruitful branches, all of us dead branches. And we put our faith in Jesus and he's making a difference in us. He can do that for you today. Abide in Jesus by trusting in him as your savior today. Ask him to save you. Beyond that, we keep trusting in him. So when you ask, am I abiding in Christ? It's not merely looking back to a time when you turned and trusted Jesus. That should be there. But how about, are you trusting him now? Is there evidence in your life that you still are trusting in him? Also abiding means that you love him and that you're enjoying him. That's verse nine. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. So do you love him? Are you walking in a way that shows you love him? This means you're prioritizing him above all else. It means you wanna spend time with him. And so maybe as you live out your life, are you, are you taking up the word of God and, and hearing from him regularly? Are you praying and talking to him? Are you thinking about him as you live through the days? Not just a once a week I think about him, but I think about him all the time. I'm abiding in him. Do you obey him? Jesus brings it up. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And it's serving him on this mission that he has for us. And here's the result. This is where we'll close. Verse 11, what's the result of abiding in him? Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus who came to give his life for you, to give you eternal life. He wants you to have his joy. He wants your joy to be full. That's what God wants for you. How do you get it? He says, abide in me. Abide in me and you'll have great joy. Well, it's Christmas time and I love the decorations, so beautiful. And I bet you've already started at your home. Don't, you're not behind, Christmas is still a ways off. But maybe your tree's up and maybe some presents are around the tree. 
It's a wonderful tradition of giving gifts to each other. A lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it too. But here's what I've learned through the years. I bet you've learned the same thing. That my ultimate joy is not found in any gift under a tree. At best, it's going to be a wonderful expression of love from somebody in my life. It's going to be something to enjoy for a season. But that thing's going to wear out or get outdated or something. It's not meant to be what I build my life on. But Jesus is in a class all by himself. That's real joy, lasting joy. Just my personal testimony. I've been, I've been trusting and following Jesus now. I counted this week, 38 years. And there is an unending joy. I bet you found this to be true if you know Jesus. And here's what I find. The closer I walk with Jesus, the greater the joy. The more distance I allow between me and Jesus, that joy is diminished. He's still faithful even when I'm not faithful. But the closer, the better I abide in him through the, through the empowerment of the spirit, the greater the joy, everything that he claims here. So today, would you make your move to Jesus? Turn away from everything that's been leaving you empty. Trust in Jesus. He is as good as he says he is here. He's the vine. Oh, be one of his branches by trusting in him.